Yes, uh, Stephen T. Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H. And I'll ask if you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth today. I do. Um, now, I understand you have a presentation for us, but I'm hoping to just ask you a, a couple questions first about basically your bets and, uh, and then move over to Nancy Whitmore. But just to, to introduce you to the people that are participating with us today, uh, my understanding is, is, and it's not just my understanding, you have quite an impressive career in the tech industry, uh, being credited as one of the people inventing the optical mouse and that you've started several tech companies that can be quite properly described as, as important. Uh, that is true. And um, <clears throat> we've had uh, at this inquiry expert after expert that um, have had the experience of being labeled by the mainstream media as misinformation spreaders. And my understanding is, is that um, you also have found yourself in that role. And uh, so I, I almost want to say to you, you're in good company and welcome to the NCI. But I wanted you to basically share with us how was it that you, because you're in the tech industry, how did you become interested in COVID issues and become passionate about them? After I was vaccinated, I started hearing from friends who were in either injured or dead. I didn't hear from the friends who were dead, obviously, but I, I heard about uh, friends who uh, had died. And I started looking into the data and the data was very consistent, showing that this was the most dangerous vaccine of all time. So I ended up uh, quitting my job and uh, pursuing this full time. I actually thought it would only take a couple of weeks to show people that the data was inconsistent with what the government was saying. <laughs> but apparently that, uh, that didn't sway people. So it ended up being a more difficult task than I had anticipated. Now, you, you've taken actually some unusual approaches to try and make the point that uh, the current government narrative isn't correct. And one of the things that I saw that you've done, and it's on your Substack, is that you put out a, a number of million dollar debts. And my understanding is, is anyone in the world can come to you, put a million dollars on the table for any one of those debts, and literally, you know, bet that you're wrong. Uh, yes, I did that uh, for a period of time. I now have uh, one bet remaining. Nobody took me up on the bet, so I, I revoked them. Uh, but there's, there's still one bet on the table, which is uh, whether the vaccines have killed more people than they've saved. And there was only one person in the world that took me up on that, uh, but he was only willing to bet half a million dollars. So it was an indication uh, to me that only one person in the entire world was willing to risk um, significant money uh, believing that the vaccines have saved more people uh, than they've killed. Only one person. And I just want to share with, with the people participating what some of the other bets are so that they understand you. Somebody could have come to you with a million dollars, and if they proved you wrong on these points, you would have given them a million dollars. And that would be, and you've already indicated about the vaccines, but you also had a bet that masks don't work. That's true. And that, yeah. oh, sorry. And these are bets, just, just to be clear, Mike Lindell, uh, who was just awarded $5 million, uh, or just uh, uh, the, the person who proved him wrong was awarded $5 million. 
Uh, Lindell was an open challenge. Uh, this is an actual bet. So the person has to put up a million dollars. I put up a million dollars. And then we go and, and through a process uh, to determine who the winner is. Right. And so that's, that's different. So the, the other party has to take some risk. And so the point is that nobody was really willing to risk their million dollars to bet me that I'm wrong about masks. And one of your bets was that censorship costs lives. Um, yes. Okay. Yep. And then one of them was you had, you had done a presentation on Fox News on August 10th, 2022. And one of, and you basically say, listen, prove, prove my major points wrong. But one of them had to do with Wayne Root's wedding. And I'm wondering if you can share for us what that bet was about. What, ha what is the story about Wayne Root's wedding? Yeah, he had uh, a couple hundred people at his wedding. About half of them were vaxxed and half of them were unvaxxed. And then he tracked what happened after the wedding. And it was all of the serious adverse events happened in the people who were vaccinated and uh, none of them happened in the people who were unvaccinated or maybe there was one death but it was quite dramatic it was i think the deaths were maybe uh, eight seven or eight in one group and and maybe one in the other group and they were equally uh there, there was no randomization of course but it was a random selection uh, of guests essentially he didn't know who was vaccinated and who was unvaccinated. And uh, then he, he was just tracking what happened uh, to the guests at his wedding. And he, uh, he noticed that there were somewhere around 20 or so guests uh, who had very serious adverse events. And they were all in the vaccine group. And there were seven deaths in that group. Right. Now, I just want to switch gears to Nancy. Whitmore. So my understanding is that she's the CEO of the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario and that you ended up sending her a letter back on March 14th. Can you just share with us a little bit of the history of what was going on there? Uh, sure. They had um, met with uh, some so-called misinformation experts and uh, wrote a big piece on their website about how misinformation is so dangerous and so I offered to her that uh, what they were doing wasn't working uh, because more and more people are vaccine hesitant. And the, the definition of insanity, of course, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And that if she really wanted to stop the misinformation, that the best thing that she could do was to engage the so-called misinformation spreaders and answer their question and uh, questions, and that we would gladly answer her questions as well. And we could uh, hopefully resolve the differences of opinion as to what the data says, if we could both have a dialogue and, and point out the flaws in each other's uh, arguments. Now, we've entered uh, that letter that you wrote, just so that anyone following us, uh, we've entered it as an exhibit essay Dash four and Mr. Kirsch, we've already informed you we had sent out a summons to Miss Nancy Whitmore, inviting her to attend today so that she could have a debate in um, in this fair and controlled environment. And I regret to inform you that we did not receive 
a response from Ms. Nancy Whitmore, and that uh, summons will be entered as Exhibit SA-4A. Has anyone on the other side, so any physician or, or journalist or politician, anyone basically um, shouting the mainstream narrative been willing to debate you at any time? Uh, no, and it's not just me uh, that they won't debate. It's really anyone who's counter-narrative. I have yet to see anyone who has said anything in any point that's counter-narrative, including the lab leak origin and, and so forth, that uh, has been debated by people on the other side. So none of this, uh, what, what, what the press calls conspiracy theories, uh, none of the people on the other side promoting the sort of the, the quote we'll call the mainstream narrative uh, ha have been willing to engage at all with anyone who is counter-narrative. So it's not just me that they won't debate. It's anybody who disagrees with them who has expertise in the field. Uh, they will not debate you. They will not discuss it. They will not publicly discuss it. And they will try to censor you and defame you on a one-sided basis, but they will never, ever engage. We've never seen that happen. Thank you. I think this, that point that you just made is extremely important. Now, my understanding is, is that you have a presentation. You've, you've put some thoughts together that you would like to share with us. And I'd like to invite you at this time to share your presentation. All right. So and you should have share screen capability. I do. In fact, uh, let me see here. Let's go do this, and we'll make that full screen. So hopefully you can see the, let's see, and then we'll go into slideshow mode. <coughs> So hopefully you, you can see the, the slides? We can. We have a slide up that says, why is everyone so afraid to talk about the elephant in the room? And then yes. we have you up in the top right-hand corner so we can see right. you also. Awesome. Great. So um, apparently this is happening to elephants uh, everywhere in the world where the elephant is sitting on the psychiatrist couch saying, stand in the middle of the room and point out the unvexed aren't dying and yet nobody notices me. So this is what I'm referring to about the elephant in the room. People just don't want to hear about it. Um, so uh, my background, uh, former uh, high-tech serial entrepreneur, I'm 66 years old, I was featured on 60 Minutes. And yet today, I'm on the top hit in, in Google um, when you type in misinformation super spreader. I've been doubly vaxxed. I was a believer until um, my friends uh, were killed and injured by the COVID vaccines. As, as we said earlier, I was validated by all the reliable data that I looked at. And nobody ex would explain to me how I got it wrong. So I became a full-time journalist. Uh, I've written over 1,200 articles on, on my substack, stevekirsch.substack.com. And, uh, you know, the big learning here is that once you're willing to question your beliefs, everything else uh, makes sense. But if you're not willing to to challenge, to, uh, to question your beliefs, then, then you'll never figure this out. And so, you know, some of the beliefs that, uh, that need to be challenged are, is it possible we were lied to and could the cure be far worse than the disease and could the good guys actually be causing harm? And what's interesting, of course, is that nobody in the world wants to answer any of our questions 
and um, and even after I offered to pay them uh, generously for their time. So I'm, I'm now at three three x your normal consulting rate. I'll probably bump that. It'll probably go up to 10x your normal consulting rate, uh, just to show people that there's. It doesn't matter how much we pay, no one will answer any of our our questions. So and in return, we'll we'll answer a comparable number of questions from from their side for free. And what's interesting is we invite them to speak at our conferences, but they won't let us speak at their conferences. They won't even take any questions. And at the last conference at Georgia State University, they even hired police to escort us off campus, even though we were registered attendees. And then instead of engaging with us in a discussion after the conference, they snuck out the back door so they could avoid confrontation. This is how it works. I think the single biggest issue is data transparency. We have a very large clinical trial going on in the world with 13 billion doses and all the governments worldwide are hiding the key data, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But the magic trick is that they undercount the unvaccinated to make the vaccines look more, uh, to make the vaccines look effective. And Norman Fenton and his colleagues caught them uh, doing this in the UK, uh, published the evidence, and the UK regulator agreed with Norman Fenton and said that the data that they had in the UK was not fit for purpose. In other words, it could not be used to determine whether the vaccines were safe or not. It's very important. Of course, the number one most important data is the death vax records of the deceased. So when you die, you need to publish when you were last vaccinated. No government in the entire world does this. No, no state government in the United States does this. These public records are being kept hidden from view so that nobody will know the truth. So no government in the world, and, and I've asked a few, I haven't asked them all obviously, but I've asked a few and they stop talking to me when I point out that there is no privacy violation and I'm willing to pay the expense to produce this data. They stop talking to me. And what's interesting also, is that no medical authority in the world is calling for these records to be released. These are ground zero records showing whether the vaccine would be safe and effective or not. And there is not a single medical authority in the entire world asking for their release. There are also no autopsies to assess causality. There are very few. They're being done in Germany and Japan. And of course, they all make devastating assessments. Ryan Cole in the US has done over 20 autopsies, investigations, and in all, 100% the vaccine is implicated in the death. But CDC isn't calling for this. And you'd wonder, doesn't anyone want to know the truth? And the reason, of course, why is that if you want to know the truth, you must be willing to accept the result. And that's why nobody looks. Now, I personally released these, uh, the data for Medicare uh, to the public just to prove it can be done. And what it shows, of course, is the vaccines are killing people. That line that's in red, that, sh that line should be going the, in the other direction um, in this particular graph. And nobody has been able to show that this data from Medicare shows that the vaccines are safe and effective. So I publicized the data, anyone can download it, and no one has been able to show 
that it shows the opposite of what I claim it shows. So the way science works today is that half a million people uh, can die from COVID and we call it an emergency if it, if it indeed was that. Uh, but when half a million or more people die from the vaccine, we want to mandate it so that everybody gets it, which is interesting because if one person dies from eye drops in the United States, they recall the eye drops. And when we have a uh, early treatment protocol for COVID, which results in zero hospitalizations and deaths, the CDC ignores it. So uh, there are a bunch of, um, of mistakes that people have made, and I'll make these, the, the slide deck available for, for people to, uh, to look at um, this in, uh, in detail. But basically, you know, vaccines did the opposite. They increased death, they increased hospitalization, and they increased the infection rate. And, and that's just for starters. You know, masking didn't work. It made people, uh, uh, in fact, uh, uh, was detrimental to health uh, in a number of factors. And we can go on and on and on. Lockdowns actually increased the number of people who died from COVID. And all of these things that they did were counterproductive. And they wouldn't take anybody who had dissenting views and listen to them. So the solutions, of course, to mandate data transparency for, for public health uh, data uh, and hold these uh, public health officials accountable in public forums, which we've never, ever been able to do. And they should, of course, start listening to the people who they've uh, been censoring and ignore the, the people uh, that, they, that they have been listening to. Here's a, uh, some of the scientific peer-reviewed uh, literature. In other words, these are papers in the scientific peer-reviewed uh, literature. And it says, abundance of studies have shown the mRNA vaccines are neither safe nor effective, but outright dangerous. And this is a really interesting um, observation. Never in vaccine history have we seen 1,011 case studies showing so shocking effects of a vaccine. Never in our history. That's an objective fact. And nobody disputes that. The Skidmore paper showed that up to 278,000 people, according to the uh, survey that, that, that he did, were killed by the vaccines in 2021 in the U.S. And it's interesting that he was, debunk he, he was supposedly debunked um, uh, by uh, uh, Susan Oliver and, and her dog. And... <laughs> And what's interesting is that Susan said, well, you know, this was not true, and this was not true, and this was not true. But Susan never then said, well, here's the corrected number when you make those corrections. So the whole point is about trying to take down any information that would be counter-narrative rather than trying to say, oh, there was a slight flaw in this because the uh, the ratio, the number of people who are vaccinated versus unvaccinated was a little bit disproportionate. So let's adjust it by a few percent. And here's the correct answer. Uh, instead, what they did is they, um, and by the way, De uh, Dennis Rancourt and, and colleagues found the exact same 0.1 deaths per dose rate as Skidmore. And he used a completely different method. But Skidmore's paper was retracted by the editor after basically looking for reasons to retract it, there's something called the COPE guidelines, which specify the reason for retraction that the journal adheres to. And none of these COPE guidelines were satisfied. And so there were 
dozens and dozens of uh, complaints filed with the publishers Springer Nature. And Springer Nature publishes 3,000 journals. All of those complaints to the ethics email were ignored. All requests for an interview of the editor or of, of the ethics committee were ignored as so, well. So can I just ask, So, because this isn't the only case where somebody publishing against the counter-narrative is taken down. Are you aware of publications with which basically support the public narrative that have been taken down? Um, yes, uh, there was a Surgisphere uh, paper showing that hydroxychloroquine uh, doesn't work. Uh, or uh, Yes, it doesn't work. And, um, and it was taken down because it was fraudulent data. So that's the only paper that I'm aware of. And that's a, that's a different that kettle down. of fish, actual fraud. It is, because it was, a, it was a totally fraudulent study to try to disprove that, hydrox that hydroxychloroquine worked. And that would have been published in a peer-reviewed journal. Yeah, it was published in The Lancet, a very famous paper. Right, and so the peer reviewers hadn't picked up that it was a fraud. Yeah, that they fabricated the data. Okay, sorry for interrupting. No problem. So, uh, so basically, these these papers that tell you the truth are are uh, it, it, like one of the reasons that they said it was retracted is because they didn't get um, approval from the uh, IRB, which is the uh, Institutional Review Board, and Skidmore, in fact, did get approval from the IRB. And the approval was that, hey, we've looked at all your questions and they don't violate, um, uh, they don't, uh, they're all exempt. And so he got a ruling from the IRB saying he's cleared to do the, the paper. So he wrote in the paper that the IRB approved it. But the journal said, well, the, but the IRB said it was exempt. So they, in fact, didn't approve it, but they did. But they, you know, you can, they approved it as being exempt. And so, these are, are things that you could clearly see. They were on a fishing expedition. This is one of five things. This guy has never, Skidmore's never had a paper retracted in his career. And he's written over 70 papers. And now, all of a sudden, the journal finds five things worthy of retraction in this one paper. Isn't that amazing? And it's interesting that a disproportionate number of COVID papers are retracted after the vaccine rollout were counter-narrative. And... You know, you wonder if this is how science works. 32% of the papers gave no reason uh, for retraction. Uh, in the uh, retraction of the McCullough-Rose paper, after it was published, Elsevier said they are not willing to publish the paper and claim that that was their prerogative and not a breach of contract. And here's the letter. It says, I'm afraid the journal is not willing to publish the paper after they published the paper. So the point is that the journals can go in and retract your paper for any reason if they don't like it. This is not how science is supposed to work. They're supposed to follow the COPE guidelines. Um, now, uh, there are papers that are published in the, the peer-reviewed uh, uh, literature, and it shows that the difference, the differences between the COVID death rate for the vax versus the unvaxed, which is supposed to be the big benefit of the vax, is not statistically significant. So we have no paper showing a statistically significant difference in the vaxxed versus the unvaxxed death rate. The closest one would be this paper, 
And if you do the, the p-value calculation here, you find that it's not statistically significant. And so the point is that there's no proof that the vaccine works. In fact, in Pfizer's own phase three trial, it showed that people were 31.2% more likely to die if they took the vaccine than, the plus, than if they took the placebo. And it's even more stunning when you realize that there were very healthy people who died um, at a five times lower rate than that they should normally die in that study. So they picked very, very healthy people in that, that Pfizer trial. And, uh, and they died at a much lower rate. And yet there was still a 31% differential that they were killing effectively young people at a 31% um, a higher rate in the, uh, the group that got the vaccine. And what's interesting is that uh, Pfizer basically said, hey, we didn't think that anybody, and of the 21 patients who died, we didn't think anyone died from the vaccine, but they provided no proof of that. There was no histopathology that was done. And the histopathology is actually required in order to prove whether there was a link between the vaccine and death. And so they basically said, eh, we're not going to look. We're just, just trust us. We're not going to look. We don't really want to know definitively whether there was a link. But just trust us, there's no link. The vaccine didn't kill these people. And that's essentially the problem here, that it's all based on trust. The CDC and the FDA are trusting what Pfizer says. Pfizer isn't doing the work to prove their statements. And then every, but then this goes down to doctors believing uh, that the FDA has said, we, we approve it and we've looked at the data. No, they never looked at any of those 21 deaths. And all of my uh, requests to, to Pfizer to, uh, to look at that data have been ignored. Why would they do that if, uh, if it's safe and effective? You know, the Israeli Ministry of Health did a study and they published it behind a firewall so nobody would see it. But this is the Israeli government data showing the days, uh, af the, the days till death after you got the shot. And this is showing 196 days, and you can see it here, it peaks at, at around four months or so post-vax for shot number two. And it should be a horizontal line. There shouldn't be any difference at all um, as to uh, when you, uh, the days after you got the shot could be, should, should be completely random. But here it's showing that it's clearly peaking, and uh, that's very problematic. This is, and because it, it peaks later, four months later, People don't associate the death. They just say, wow, he got died four months after the shot, but it was four months after the shot. And so people don't associate these deaths with the vaccine. Um, you know, Asim Malhotra's father died six months after uh, he got the shot, uh, but Asim was astute enough uh, to realize there was a connection there. The Israeli Ministry of Health also uh, published this in their paper, which shows a huge spike exactly three days after you got the shot in young people. Now, that is not random. That is causality. That is not just coincidence. There is no way you can get a coincidence like that. In, um, in uh, Canada, uh, Ontario announced that deaths from COVID were up 39% and hospitalizations were up 31%. And this is from COVID after the vaccines rolled out. Now, they told us in Canada 
that the vaccines are safe and effective. And yet, why is hospitalizations, why are our deaths up 39% in the year after everybody got vaccinated? And why are hospitalizations from COVID? Deaths from COVID, hospitalizations from COVID. I mean, this is stunning. So just, and, so, and just I, so that everyone understands, because so in 2022, deaths in Ontario from COVID were 39% higher than the year before in 2021. Is that, that what you're telling us? Correct. And, but wouldn't it, even aside from the vaccine, wouldn't more people have natural immunity in 2022 than they would have in 2021 because people are catching COVID and develop who, you know, aside from the vaccine and getting natural immunity. So it correct. So the death should be down and the variants, the variants are uh, also less severe. Omicron was was less severe than Delta. And and the earlier variants. So we have a less severe uh, COVID. And of course, we have a lot of natural immunity. And and yet people are dying at a higher rate. And then Someone pointed out, oh, well, there were lockdowns in 2021. Well, the lockdowns in, uh, in Canada ended, um, in, in Ontario ended like mid year. And then they locked down again, um, in, uh, in early, uh, 2022. But so it, and, and lockdowns, in fact, are, have been shown to increase every place there were where there are lockdowns. They increase the COVID number of COVID deaths. And that's pretty clear. There's a Hopkins paper uh, that was published, or pa paper from John, Johns Hopkins, uh, three economists at John, Johns Hopkins. Very well done paper. Right. So there's no explanation for this. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I contact Nan Nancy Whitmore at uh, the um, at that uh, College of Ontario. Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the college as they say. And uh, Nancy Whitmore just ignored me. Like I said, look, you know, if there's an explanation, let's hear it. They basically say, don't want to say anything. David Feisman, uh, who is also in Ontario, would not say anything either. I emailed him. He didn't respond to my email. Like nobody wants to explain this. So a, a huge increase in Canada. Nobody, no authority will explain this increase and, and agree to be challenged with their explanation. Uh, you know, it's just like, well, you know, it happened, you should ignore it. Like, this is completely counter-narrative, and every single authority in Canada is ducking questions about this. Nobody wants to explain it. And what's even more troubling is that the press in Canada is not asking about it either. Not, they're not asking these questions. Well, I, I think it's worse than that. I mean, I, I think the press says the experience that we've had from other witnesses is actively participates in character assassination if you step out. And, and you don't even have to be a Canadian expert. We had Dr. Balacheri on here uh, explaining how the CBC basically went after him after he was one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration. So, yeah. and, and just so you know, I mean, because you're in the United States, I mean, there's still a culture of fear here. We're having, uh, this is a citizen-run inquiry, and one of the 
the features is, is we don't just have experts like you on. We allow ordinary Canadians to come and tell their stories. But we have had a large number of witnesses back out at the end because they're still afraid of repercussions, both economically at their work and social, like family and friends. So we're still in a culture of fear. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if you have any thoughts on whether it's fear that is preventing people from, from speaking or are there other factors? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, there's the fear is, is definitely preventing people uh, from speaking. Now, look, there are some doctors who believe the, the authorities. They're trained to believe authority and, and trust authority. And so these doctors will uh, look at what's going on and they'll say, oh, well, I just got unlucky. And so there are some doctors who, who still believe that, that the vaccines are safe and effective and just ignore the evidence in, in plain sight. There are other doctors who realize that if they speak out, they will have their license revoked. Uh, they will no longer be able to practice medicine uh, or they will have their hospital privileges revoked or uh, they will um, uh, be fired uh, from their job. And so... <coughs> The first duty of these people is to provide for their family. And so that's what they do. They, they keep their mouth shut and they follow orders so they're not fired. Uh, a, uh, an example of a doctor in Canada, in Ontario, uh, for example, would be Ira Bernstein. And look at what happened to Dr. Bernstein. None of his patients died, uh, but uh, they're, they are uh, in the process of revoking his license to practice medicine after complimenting him for being an exemplary doctor before the pandemic happened. Now, all of a sudden, he's an evil guy because he saved lives, and so they're going after him, and it's all out of public view. It, it, the province that I live in, Alberta, the uh, College of Physicians and Surgeons, as I understand it, basically directed physicians that they were not to be treating Albertans who presented with early COVID, but rather they were to wait until um, people presented seriously at the emergency ward. Have you heard similar things in other jurisdictions? That, that's something that I have trouble getting my head around. Um, a college basically directing doctors not to treat patients early. Yeah, I haven't heard about that in, in other places in Canada, but that doesn't. But I haven't tracked that uh, at all. But but uh, but I know of other places in the world where uh, where physicians are directed to do that. In fact, our own CDC is, um, uh, you know, I think guilty in, in in that respect in telling people that none of these early treatment works, and and so physicians interpret that as well. I better not do it, otherwise I'm going to get in trouble. Back to fear. Oh, sorry for interrupting. I'll let you carry on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so it's interesting that the uh, Ontario also published that there are zero COVID deaths in people under 30 in Ontario. So why do they recommend a vaccine? I mean, you can see here the uh, unvaccinated. If you're a 40 and under the unvaccinated, in fact, if you're a 50 and under and you're unvaccinated, basically you, you're not dying. You know, it's pretty darn close to zero. And it's, it's actually zero for 30 and, and under here. So uh, why are they even recommending uh, the vaccine? Uh, and they're not even talking about the, the risk. It doesn't make sense. Uh, 
Um, so this is a paper which people find really, really troubling if, you're, if you think the vaccine is safe and effective, which is um, the more doses of the, vac the, of the COVID vaccine that you get, the more likely you are to become infected with COVID. This is done, this study done at the Cleveland Clinic, which is, according to Newsweek, the number two hospital in the entire world. So the number two most respected hospital in the entire world 51,000 employees did a retrospective study uh, to look at the COVID rates for uh, their staff, 51,000 employees, various locations. And what they found is a pretty linear relationship with the number of vaccine doses you have and your risk of infection. So the more doses of the vaccine, the more likely you are to be uh, infected. And the error bars pretty much do not overlap, which means these results are statistically significant that the more doses, the more you likely you are to be infected. Now, there's no way, there's nobody that's been able to dispute the study. In fact, one prominent um, uh, debunker said, well, I didn't like the fact that this axis here was linear. I mean, and that's that's it's that's preposterous. You didn't like the the fact that the the axis was linear, and you know this is one of his primary critiques of this study. And he also said he didn't like the way that study was done. Well, you know, I'm I'm sorry, but <laughs> the study shows what the study shows, and there isn't the, the 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 most important thing is that there isn't a study anywhere showing that the opposite is true. Because doctors always like to say, well, for every study, there's always a study showing the opposite thing. There is not a study anywhere showing the opposite is true. And, and I'm sorry, an interesting yeah, thing that's jumping out at me is, is so basically this, this chart is showing negative, negative efficacy. So, I mean, if, if a, a marker for efficacy was that it prevented you from getting COVID, which is what the public was led to believe, um, this is showing even for one dose, but I appreciate your point for each additional dose, it gets worse. But as time goes on in this chart, it seems that, like, well, so first of all, you'd have negative efficacy if you're more likely to catch COVID than not, but it seems that it gets worse as time goes on in this chart. Am I interpreting that chart correctly? Uh, no, it, well, the, the x-axis is time. So it's just showing you the cumulative incidence. Okay. So if you divide that, then you get a rate. So it's not showing you the rate. It's showing you the cumulative incident uh, over time, which, which you'd expect to go uh, uh, more and more over time that more and more people get because it's a constant rate. So the rate would be the slope of the line. Okay. Okay. And what's interesting is that the paper itself pointed out, hey, we're not the only guys to see this. There were two other studies that were done completely independently that showed exactly the same thing that people who were vaxxed more were more likely to get COVID. So they said, hey, don't blame us. We're not the only study showing this. So this is in, indeed very troubling uh, for the narrative. And, and the beauty of this, this, uh, this particular study is that everybody started at exactly the same point in time. So everybody was, was uh, 
exposed to the exact same variants within their communities. And you can see the, the extraordinary difference. This is why this study is so interesting, is because it looked at people with various doses over the same time period. And it was done in a hospital setting that's very controlled. The same exact same paper showed natural immunity works that the more recently you were infected with the COVID vaccine, the less likely, or with the, sorry, with the COVID virus, the less likely you are to get COVID. So this is, part, this is someone who's recently infected with the Omicron variant. This is someone who's not infected at all. So this is not looking at vaccines. This is looking at natural immunity, showing that if you got COVID, the more recently you got COVID, the less likely you are to get COVID again. And so this is showing natural immunity does work, just like uh, medicine has said for, for years. But the vaccine is doing the opposite. Natural infection is good, is what this paper said. COVID vaccination is effectively bad. Now we have some V-safe data, which is self-reported data. 10 million Americans agreed to report their, uh, their status. Uh, when they got the shots, they're given a card to say, hey, register for V-safe. And 7.7% uh, ended up with severe adverse events. And uh, that is not safe. 7.7% that had to be hospitalized or see the doctor after getting their vaccine is not a safe vaccine, no matter. You can't spend it any other way. And here's a, a study. This is uh, New York. This is source is New York Times. This is New York Times. Uh, source for the data showing the more you vax, the more people die from COVID. Not more people die, more people die from COVID, which is what we said before. And that also, if you look at population studies, and this is CDC data, you find that you get, and, and these are, are squared values are, are 0.24 here and 0.29. These are very high numbers for correlation. The more you vax, the more people die from all causes. And the latest UK data shows that the vax increases the risk of death for all age groups. So we're not just talking about dying from COVID. This is dying from COVID. This is dying from all causes, showing higher mortality if you're vaccinated. The, the regions with higher vaccination rates have higher all-cause mortality. And the latest UK data shows that the vax increases risk of death for all age groups. So this is all-cause mortality. And it also shows negative vaccine efficacy for all age groups, which means you're more likely uh, 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 to catch COVID and, and, and die. The Israeli Ministry of Health found the same pattern. The vaccine is more likely to kill you as time goes on. So this is days post-vaccination after you got, and this is the number of death cases, look how it climbs. It's supposed to be a flat line um, across here. The vaccine isn't supposed to make any difference at all uh, in the number of deaths, but instead it climbs after just 30 days after you get the vaccine. That's what it's supposed to protect you from dying from COVID. And look at the death rate. It's three times 60 versus 20 here. I mean, truly stunning. This is um, from Israeli uh, Ministry of Health data. And of course, in our own VARA system, uh, these uh, the uh, blue lines here are all, all non-COVID vaccine deaths. So every vaccine combined 
and 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 each year and then this is uh, the total reports red is total reports of death from all vaccines okay so they they match up see every single year they match up until the covid vaccines roll out in uh where the covid vaccines are completely off the charts versus the non-covid vaccine so it's not an over reporting it's not that suddenly in 2021 people realize there's a virus system and started reporting things because they're only uh, the bars only go up for the COVID vaccines and no other vaccines. So there's either one of three things going on here. There's either massive fraud and gaming by anti-vaxxers reporting deaths that don't exist, but all of those deaths are reviewed by Health and Human Services, and so maybe sometimes one or two gets through, but there, there's there's no way that you can have massive gaming. So number one isn't even a possibility. The second is massive overreporting. But there's no evidence of that anywhere. We've, we've done surveys of healthcare workers uh, all over the place, and nobody says uh, we're reporting for the COVID vaccines more than any other vaccines. And it's interesting that it happens all of a sudden for just the COVID vaccines worldwide in every adverse event tracking system in the entire world. So could it be there's massive overreporting? I don't think so. It's not supported by the evidence. So that just leaves one uh, possibility, which is the deadliest vaccine in, in human history. And that's the only thing that there's evidence for. And I've confirmed that uh, using uh, surveys that were done by uh, third-party pollsters, um, and uh, and it says that the vaccine is, is as dangerous as COVID, sometimes uh, more so. And the mainstream media is not doing any of these surveys to find out, just to validate whether the government's telling the truth. There isn't any mainstream media uh, survey that's done uh, to look at this data. Um, in fact, there was a Rasmussen study, uh, Rasmussen polls. They said this is the most important poll we've ever done, and it showed that the, the vax deaths were equal to the COVID deaths, and that was amongst Democrats and Republicans and independents. So you can't say that this is just a, a uh, right versus left, a liberal versus conservative. It's not. It's everybody polled is finding that the vax deaths and people that they know um, are equal to the, the COVID deaths, uh, re, you know, relatively close. So it, the cure is worse than, than the disease or at least comparable to the disease. And what's, what's stunning is that, of course, the UK government claimed that only nine people died from COVID from vaccines in 2021 in the UK, which is interesting how they undercount that. And of course, even the, the mice are not fooled. You know, the mice where they do the, the testing, they're not full. They're getting, you know, so here's the discussion between two, um, uh, two rodents. Uh, are you getting your kids uh, COVID vaxxed? And um, the other rodent says, no, I'll, I'll wait for the human trials to finish first. So someone is clearly lying to you. And, uh, you know, it's either the, the um, uh, so it's all a matter of what you trust, who you trust. Do you trust the data or do you trust the government experts? And of course, the answer is the way you figure this out is that the side that wants to resolve the differences in a civil discussion is almost always, I've not seen a counterexample of this, so I can't, can't say definitively, never, there are always counterexample, but in general, the side that wants to resolve the differences in a civil discussion, the people who want debates, they're the people who are telling you the truth. And the people who are, who are running for the, from these debates uh, they're the people who don't like being challenged. 
So for some questions, it doesn't matter who you ask, you know, are the COVID vaccines safe and effective? If they are, then the vaccine mandates are pointless. And if they're not, vaccine mandates are pointless. So who cares? Did my booster protect me from getting COVID? If it did, great. No need for additional boosters. And if no, then there's no need for additional boosters anyway. But the questions people should be asking is why isn't the vax death data? This is ground zero data. Why isn't it publicly available from any government anywhere in the world? If they really want to reduce vaccine hesitancy, they would show this data. The governments would be tripping over themselves to make this data public, the vax death records of public. For each person who dies, show us the vaccine, uh, vaccine dates. Um, it's interesting that uh, there's a VSD database, which is, uh, they say is very definitive, but the CDC stopped Professor Brian Hooker and others from looking at the VSD data. Why would, why would they do that? Why would they hide the truth? And if it works so well, how come the drug companies aren't urging? Have you ever heard any of the Pfizer, Moderna, any other drug company urging the government to make this vax death data public? Like if the vaccine manufacturers really want to reduce vaccine hesitancy because they're going to sell more product. It is in their interest to make this data public. And there has not been a single call from any manufacturer to make the public health data public. To me, that's stunning. I offer to bet anyone a million bucks that the vaccines, uh, uh, I think that the vaccines have killed more than they've saved. Uh, there's only one guy who uh, took me up on it, but he was only willing to, to risk uh, $500,000. He wouldn't go for the whole million dollars. And it's interesting that they're, they're so confident that, that this vaccine works, that they're not willing to risk, that, that they are willing to risk your life on it, but they're not willing to risk their money. Like Pfizer could easily bet me a million bucks. They won't because they'll lose. But the point is that they're risking your life, but they're not going to risk their money or their reputation. Can, can I just... It. Jump in there, yeah. because I would think that if Pfizer took you up and proved you wrong publicly, that that would just be a public relations coup. In it, would. it would be a public relations coup in reducing vaccine hesitancy. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, it just it seems that the point you were making, that, that Pfizer could easily take you up on that bet, is, is, is quite a significant point. So, please carry on. Yeah. Um, what's interesting also is that nobody can name a single real-world vaccine success story where COVID rates went down at a nursing home or a funeral home after the vax rollout. I still can't find that success example. And I've talked to other doctors in these uh, Twitter spaces, chat rooms, and I say, where's your success story? And they're unable. All of these people are unable to name a single real-world success story. Hey, at UCSF, the numbers are this. Or, hey, at Stanford, the number. Nobody can name a single vaccine success story. That is stunning. They say it's, hey, 10 times reductions in deaths. But they can't point to a single place that that's happening. It's interesting because it's supposed to be happening all over. It's supposed to be the rare that I shouldn't be able to find any counterexamples, but all I can find is counterexamples and I can't find anything that supports the narrative. That's really stunning. I mean, that question alone 
is something that you should be asking your doctor. It's an easy question. If this thing really works, where's the nursing home? Where's the geriatric practice? Where's the funeral home where this is where they can say, hey, my, my death rate's like plummeted after the vaccines rolled out. Show me the funeral home where business went down after the COVID vaccines rolled out. I mean, we cannot find it. And, and you're talking about basically a sample size that is staggering in the measures of billions of doses worldwide. Right. They, they, they should be able to find these success examples everywhere. And nobody can name one in the entire world. It's really stunning. I mean, they should be able to, it should be impossible for me to find a counterexample because the vaccines are so effective in preventing death. It should be impossible. And yet I can find hundreds of these and, and not a single, a single counterexample. So, uh, you know, it's, it's weird that we can have this emergency, public health emergency, when no one's dying from Omicron. And all the, I mean, I've been to the hospital wards in my local community. They're empty. How can perinatal deaths uh, climb 20 times after the vaccines rolled out? How can Deborah Conrad's caseload um, before she was fired go up 20 times right after the vaccines rolled out? And, and, and here's the kicker. Like, if it's really so safe, why do they need liability protection? Now that they know it's so safe, why not just drop the liability protection? But they don't. Um, bleeding in early uh, pregnancy, seven sigma increase. Um, gee, if it wasn't the vaccine, what caused this? Uh, the vaccine groups in the phase three trials for all the vaccines, for all three vaccines, all had higher morbidity than the placebo groups. Then this was highly statistically significant for all vaccines. And yet they're not pointing that out to anyone, that there's higher morbidity. Um, so clearly, the, uh, you know, from the data we have, it's, there's higher mortality, higher morbidity. Why are you taking this intervention? It makes no sense. Here, uh, uh, Vinay Prasad is talking about uh, a Swiss paper, uh, uh, a Swiss study, sorry, uh, 777 Swiss healthcare workers uh, were looked at after they got uh, the shot and 2.8% had significantly higher uh, troponin levels, which are an indicator of serious heart damage, just three days after the booster shot. Now, how can that possibly be safe? Um, found out that the chief of the chief medical officer at UCSF was issuing a gag order telling all staff not to talk about the vaccines in the context of any injury. So if somebody was injured, do not ask about when they got their COVID vaccine. Uh, we, haven't, uh, we haven't had a case where a single prominent individual has switched sides from being anti-vax to pro-vax. It's all going the wrong way. It's all from people like Asim Mohantra, who is, um, is very famous in the UK, a medical doctor. And he was promoting, he was pushing the vaccines, signing people up on TV, convincing people to take the vaccines. His dad died six months after he got the shot. And Asim started looking at the science, and he said, whoa, I was fooled. And so now he's a prominent anti-vaxxer because he, he was forced to look at the data after his dad died. And he said, I can't think of any drug, anything we have ever used in medicine that has efficacy that is this poor. 
Zoo animals are now dying of unusual causes after the vax rolled out. Um, if it's if this thing is so effective, nobody's getting it. Even Paul Offit's not getting the the booster, and he he went on record as get, not getting the booster, and he's strongly pro-vax. So why should you get it? If it's so safe, why did the FDA try to keep the safety data secret for seventy five years? You know, John McCain before he died said. Um, that excessive secrecy from a government agency feeds conspiracy theories and reduces the public confidence in the government. This is exactly what is going on here. There's 770 safety signals that have triggered in the VAERS system, and the CDC knows it. And they didn't tell the public about any of those safety signals when they triggered. Why wouldn't, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, debates. Uh, none of the government authorities anywhere in the world, including in Canada, three top scientists in Canada here in this, uh, this slide, challenged the Canadian authorities to a debate on the science and nobody showed up on the other side. They said, it's the three of us against everyone you want to bring to the table. And they couldn't bring a single person to the table in Canada. Now that is stunning to me. I can't, I can't name a debate that's happened ever in Canada or anywhere else in the world. There's a Here's a 123% increase in all-cause mortality in the Philippines on September 30th. Now, it wasn't COVID because there were only 127 COVID deaths that day. So what, cause, what causes this uh, huge peak? In Germany, right after they rolled the shots out, these uh, causes of death from certain ICD-10 uh, codes, um, sudden cardiac death, cardiac arrest, sudden death, they skyrocketed. No, there's no way that happens by chance. Now, if it wasn't the vaccine, what caused the uh, the rise? Now, now, lots of people say, oh, well, you know, a lot of these things are happening. You know, you can't explain this one. This happens all of a sudden. They say um, that a lot of these things are happening because of, oh, people aren't getting their medical care during lockdown. That's, that's why the death rates are higher. Well, um, Martin Neal and Norman Fenton actually looked at all of the excuses for what could have caused the, the death rate. Um, excess deaths worldwide. Excess deaths worldwide. What could be causing this? So they looked at all these factors, and they found that none of them had correlation with what was going on, a, po a positive correlation with what was going on. Um, the only thing that was positively correlated was the vaccine. Now, Nobody's been able to dispute this study, which is interesting. So they, they all say, well, it's something else, it's something else. But they can't dispute this devil's advocate study where they looked at all these reasons and they showed <laughs> that they're not, they don't correlate uh, at all. And, it, you know, it's interesting that for the first time in history, it's necessary to, to censor uh, certain doctors with opposing, opposing views. And Peter Marks, who's uh, the FDA director, he's in, in, in charge of CBER at the FDA, which is in basically vaccines. Um, and he said, I'm past trying to argue with people who think the vaccines are not safe. But he's not argued with any of the misinformation spreaders, not a single one. But he's passed that already, even though he's never done it. And of course, the White House now has a censorship list for the first time in history and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset I'm not on it, but why, why do they need to have high-tech companies censor doctors for them? 
for the first time in U.S. history. And I, I offered a million bucks to anybody, any member of the CDC or FDA uh, outside committee members to answer some questions. So they just show up. This was not a bet. This was, hey, here's a million bucks just to show up and answer some questions. Nobody would do it. Um, the CDC ignored all the early treatments. Um, uh, I'm going to skip over this. The, you know, the rhetoric doesn't match the, um, uh, the reality. We're seeing so many black swans, athletes dying and so forth uh, in the VAR system, over 650,000 excess deaths, and nobody wants to, to, to talk about it. The CDC ignored over 700, there were about 770 safety signals in VARES. They didn't talk about it. We only found out about it after we did, issued a FOIA. I have a, uh, a friend in Silicon Valley. She's a neurologist. Uh, she works at a big practice. Uh, they had no VARES reports in the last 11 years. This year, they need to file 1,000. So this is not an over-reporting. This is actual, man, we've never seen anything like this in our practice in, in the last 11 years, because we've only been in practice for 11 years. Nobody wants to debunk Ed Dowd's book. Um, I know of a large geriatric practice that went from 11 deaths a year to 21 deaths a year in 2022, and they have an 85% COVID vax rate. Come on, why didn't the deaths go down? This is, this is very similar to what, ha what has happened in Ontario. Uh, and it's a geriatric practice, so the numbers are higher. Doug Brinoli offered uh, his life as the test case. He got the vax, died a week after he got the vax. Nobody's talking about it. Um, huge rise in dementia deaths in Australia between June and, and July of 2021. Cannot be explained any other way. It coincided with the vax rollout of the elderly. Pfizer did a, um, a clinical trial of pregnant women. It ended July 15th of 2022. You know, it's almost a year ago. Nobody wants to know what happened. Nobody wants to know. Not The press doesn't want to know. Nobody's asking them what happened in the trial. How did it go? Isn't that amazing? They do the trial and they keep it secret. Now, and why was enrollment limited to 24 to 34 weeks gestation? The CDC says it's safe for anyone to get the vaccine. We already know it's safe. The CDC has said it's safe. Why did they make the restriction that it was only 24 to 34 weeks to enroll in the trial? Very strange. And yet, they're not telling us what happened in the trial. There is data in the trial. They're not saying a word. How, like, how does this inspire public confidence? Why isn't the CDC asking them what happened? Why isn't the press? I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable that nobody wants to know. Uh, we still don't know what evidence was used by the CDC to recommend the, the vaccine is safe for pregnant women. They clearly don't want to know what was in the, the Pfizer study. And, of course, there's a four, four times greater risk of cardiac uh, deaths. There are four times as many cardiac deaths in the VAX group in the, um, the Pfizer phase three trial. And, of course, they never showed us the data on that. And it's interesting that there were five times as many exclusions in the treatment group as in the placebo group on a double-blind randomized trial. That's impossible. That is statistically impossible. That is never going to happen. That means there's fraud in the trial, and nobody investigates. Nobody investigates the what happened to uh, uh, the allegations of 
uh, fraud by Brooke Jackson and Maddie DeGarry. Maddie was 12 years old when she got the Pfizer shot. She's now paraplegic, and she has to eat from a feeding tube probably for the rest of her life. Nobody ever called her. Her experience is not unique. I talked to Janet Woodcock. Woodcock promised me that the FDA would investigate. The FDA never called. The CDC never called, and Pfizer never called. Nobody wants to know the truth about these vaccines. And there's nothing more clear than what happened to Maddie, who's a 12-year-old whose life was destroyed by this vaccine. No question about it. Six times as many Southwest airline pilots are dying per year now than they used to be dying. It's interesting that no doctor or nurse in Scotland has ever died from COVID in the past three years. Zero COVID deaths. All the deaths in healthcare, those are from other causes, not from COVID. The number of COVID deaths of doctor of nurses, non-retired, ages 20 to 64, is zero in Scotland. And this is an emergency? I, I was wondering why the FAA uh, hasn't been investigating any of these pilot uh, uh, injuries and deaths uh, from the COVID vaccine. And so I talked to uh, uh, Bradley, um, Bradley Mims, and I asked him, I asked him directly on the phone, well, how come you guys aren't investigating these, these pilot deaths and injuries? And he said, no comment. He said, I have to talk to the, uh, the press office. So I contacted the press office, and the press office said, well, we don't see any, uh, any evidence. Yeah, because you're not looking. I mean, that's how it goes. Uh, the uh, ASIP uh, chair, ASIP is the outside committee for the, for the CDC uh, that approves the vaccine. So she's like the final, final straw in getting approval. And I have asked her, hey, do you want to see the Israeli vaccine data, which shows that the vaccines are super dangerous? And she refused to answer the question. So yes, no question. It's a really easy question. Like, do you want to see the Israeli Ministry of Health vaccine data? I have, the, I have access to the video. I can give her a private showing. She called the cops on me. She didn't want to answer the question. And the cops couldn't arrest me because I didn't violate the law. I just went to her door and knocked on the door and asked, hey, do you want to see the, the data? She called the cops on me. That's, that's how bad it is. These people run from wanting to see any data. A real scientist, a real scientist would not call the cops. A real scientist would say, yeah, I want to see the data. But these people aren't scientists. I don't know what they are, but they're, I don't even know that they qualify as human beings if you don't want to see the safety data on this stuff. So many people dying suddenly, these fibrous clots, they're only having vaccinated people. Um, and Chris Martinson did a brilliant video on, uh, you know, nobody's been able to explain this. The, the, he, he, he says in this slide, the failure to study these clots with all due rigor is inexcusable and inexplicable, assuming public health is the goal. And that really says it all, doesn't it? Because everybody's seen these fibrous clots and nobody wants to look at it. Isn't that interesting? There's only one pathologist in America doing autopsies and he's doing the proper test to assess whether the COVID vaccine caused the death and he's getting 100% hit rate. <clears throat> nobody else in America is doing these tests to us to figure out whether the vaccine caused the death. This is the definitive test 
And I, you I have think to use these specialized tests in order to find out whether the vaccine caused the death or not. If you're not doing these tests, you don't know. Basically, the only way we find out is after the person dies, you autopsy them. You can't do it while the person's alive. You autopsy them, and then you find out the truth. Nobody wants to find out the truth. The CDC is not telling, even telling any pathologist to check for a vaccine caused death. Um, uh, here's a uh, 15 year olds are not dying from heart attacks on a regular basis. I talked to a funeral director in Texas who told me that she's never in 50 years seen a 15 year old die from a heart attack. And in December 22, she had one death a week for three weeks straight of 15 year olds from heart attacks. Explain that. Um, here's the, uh, here's Google searches, Google searches for myocarditis started immediately after the vaccine rollouts for adolescents. And yet the doctors say the rates for myocarditis from COVID are much greater if from the virus versus the vaccine. And yet all of the interest spikes right after the vaccines rolled out. Um, being recommended for kids, but Kids have like a, a one in a million chance of dying. A healthy kid, less than one, one in a million chance of dying from COVID. So the vax has to kill fewer than a one kid per 10 million. And that to prove that would require a, a trial of 30 million kids. That trial has never been done. Why, why are they recommending this? And in fact, in Canada, um, over 96 dead children and counting post-vax uh, when you'd normally see nine a year from flu. Why are the health authorities not talking about this? And why did they stop reporting these deaths? And, and this is uh, from Dr. William Mackis, uh, this list who's been signing this. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really tragic. We have their names of the people who died the, unexpectedly. No, no investigation. Um, uh, it's very hard to find a name of one healthy child under 12 who died from COVID in the US. Many, we've looked at the vaccine records in many states uh, and, uh, I'm sorry, the death records in many states and we can't find a, a kid under 12 who died from COVID, zero. Um, and nobody's questioning, of course, the science behind the six foot rule. If masks work, um, then why is it that every single randomized trial has, has failed to show any effect? And the Cochrane reports in little to no difference offered people $10,000 to remove their mask for the duration of the flight. No takers, but they remove their mask um, happily when they serve food or a drink. And what's interesting is that they can all get infected through their eyes and nobody covers their eyes. And you can get just as well infected through COVID through your eyes as through your mask. Why are you wearing your mask and not covering your eyes? It makes no sense. Um, and of course, face masks uh, at best are designed to protect the wearer, not as source control. And so these, these mandates are nonsense because the mandates are about protecting the public. You have to wear this face mask with, with no portal because you want to protect the, the public. But there are currently no established methods for measuring outward leakage from a barrier face covering, medical mask or respirator. Nothing in the standard addresses or implies a quantitative assessment of outward leakage. These things are not designed for outward leakage. Hello. And yet we are being mandated to wear masks because of outward leakage, even though there are no established 
ways of measuring outward leakage. Isn't that interesting? I guess that's how science works. Why didn't the CDC uh, warn parents that, of course, masks create dangerous levels of CO2 for kids? We have a number of studies that show that, including one that was done just recently, a systematic uh, review and meta-analysis. And my favorite, of course, is the one with the two Marines uh, testing masks with bear spray. And nobody has been able to refute this video. It's on YouTube. It's, it's a classic uh, video. And if the bivalent booster is so beneficial, why isn't Paul Offit getting it? He explained, uh, he says, we should not uh, be trying to stop all, prevent all symptomatic infections. That's not what we should be focused on. And we have uh, Professor Marty McCary testifying in Congress that the greatest spreader of COVID misinformation is the U.S. government. Isn't that stunning? Um, and the reason, of course, you know, I don't, people don't trust the CDC. Uh, you know, I, I did a survey. Um, 90% don't trust them at all. And uh, the CDC has one overriding goal. <laughs> and the, uh, the official answer is it's to protect the health of America, but Americans don't believe that. They think it's to protect the drug companies and vaccinate everybody. Um, critical thinking still seem to have disappeared. Uh, and uh, it's interesting that uh, Vinay Prasad and, and Jeffrey Flyer, uh, who's the former dean of Harvard, Harvard Medical School, says the scientific express different views on COVID-19 should be heard and not demonized, um, which I agree with. But it appears that nobody in mainstream science agrees with this. They all think that people who have different views on COVID-19 should be censored. <laughs> they it's it's quite astonishing. So they disagree with the former dean of the Harvard Medical School. Um, and I don't know how we're ever going to resolve this because none of the Provax authorities all refuse to engage in a civil dialogue. Um, here's an example. <laughs> a Paris group of experts, leading scientists, invited most of the leading scientists, proponents of the COVID uh, market origin hypothesis to participate in a respectful public um, uh, debate. All have refused. So you can't even get a debate on the origin. You're never going to get a debate on, on, on any of this other stuff. So uh, people are going to start to point fingers. Uh, German Minister of Health, uh, Karl Lauterbach, said it wasn't my fault they didn't approve the vaccine. So he's already started the finger pointing. And uh, nobody wants to answer any, any of my questions here. Uh, Pfizer um, and the CDC haven't responded to any of my questions. I don't know what they're afraid of. Like, why don't they just, you know, publish a... Uh, the answers. So, you know, basically, look, they lied about everything. All their advice made no difference, and they made things worse. Most, virtually all made things worse. Uh, vaccines were a disaster. Masks were a disaster. Social distancing disaster. Lockdowns made things worse. Um, mandates uh, killed people. You know, we're, we're, we're looking at, at just tragic numbers of people dying from these interventions. And the one thing that did work really, really well was the thing that they ignored completely, which is early treatments and early treatments have basically, if you got the, on the right treatment protocol, you had virtually zero chance of hospitalization and death, and all those treatments were ignored. Solutions, stop the shots, stop hiding the data, uh, hold uh, public uh, health officials accountable. I don't know how you can do that because no public health official wants to be held accountable uh, and listen to those who've been censored. And uh, you know, each and every uh, public health official has the power to change everything because they can release the, the record level vax death data in their region. And why would they not want to do this? Why would they not want to show the public the truth? 
And uh, I asked the UK to, to uh, release it, and they said it would violate the privacy of dead people. So, in other words, in the UK, they think that, you know, like death records are public, or they used to be public, like in a lot of states, death records used to be public. You used to go into Ohio and be able to get the death records. So all we're saying is, hey, let's just add the vaccine. When they, these people are vaccinated. So in the UK, I asked them, why don't you just release this data for dead people? And they said, well, hey, you know, it, it'd be violating the privacy of dead people to let them know when they were vaccinated. I don't know of a single dead person who would object to having their, you know, especially if they died from the vax, who would object to, uh, uh, to having this information disclosed. But we should do a study where we ask dead people, hey, do you mind having the, uh, your, uh, your vax information disclosed? Uh, but second best would be to ask people who are still alive, hey, after your debt is okay for us to disclose your date of vaccination, which, of course, nobody has done. Um, so they, anyway, they, these people stopped responding to me. Uh, the FDA uh, head, Robert Califf, has said that misinformation is the leading cause of death. Interesting. And Mr. Kirsch, I'm just wondering how much longer you have. Just Yeah, we're done. We're okay, done. So, perfect. Yeah, there's want... an easy way to fix, it, to fix this problem, of course, which is that all he has to do is stop talking. And that's what I'm going to do at this point. Um, and I'll, I'll leave you with this final slide, which is anyone not publicly calling for data transparency is not your friend. Well, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you stick around and allow the commissioners to ask you some questions. Because Abs you've, you've just uh, given us some a tremendous amount Food for of thought. information. Yeah. So yep. I believe the commissioners have questions for you. Well, th thank you so much, Mr. Kurz, for this incredible tour de force in terms of doing an overview. Uh, you've covered so many grounds there. Uh, I would try to focus my question to a couple of issues that you probably are aware of, but you didn't detail. The first one has to do with the narrative when the vaccine was initially rolled out. It, it was basically to reach this elusive herd immunity. And when you look at the data from government from all over the world, it seems that it was working so well. And then when, when the, the Delta wave hit, what we've heard is that, well, what the vaccine can no longer do is to protect against transmission. My question to you is, do we have credible data that it ever worked? Because this whole notion that the vaccine was designed to a strain that was different now, Delta, maybe it didn't work because it was Delta and not the original strain. Uh, do you have? A, do we know of any data that is showing that it ever protect uh, protect against transmission? And why is it that? we are seeing that the statistic was showing spectacular results against transmission. Yeah, so I haven't seen, uh, I've seen some data that might lead you to believe that, oh, uh, that the vaccines were working and that infections were going down and there are certain studies. But, you know, based on what we've seen today and and the careful studies that are done like that cleveland clinic uh studies i think it's pretty doubtful that they ever work because see um what the cleveland clinic study showed is that natural immunity has always worked 
right? Because you could see it in those curves. That natural immunity, that the, 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 uh, the more recently you got the infection, the more protected you are. And it's clearly the case that, um, and it, it's not clear whether it's the time element or it's the, the, the variant, right? Because it's a little hard to tell, right? Because the more recent variants, of course, are, uh, are going to be closer in time and they're going to protect you more. So is it, is it a time difference or is it a variant? It's probably both. But the vaccines were showing just the opposite. And so one can infer from that, now that we have this clear data from the Cleveland Clinic study, that it was just a mirage uh, that, that we were seeing and, and we were probably undercounting uh, the unvaccinated and that these studies were not done carefully because the, the, the size in the, the Pfizer trial, there are 22,000 people uh, per arm in the, the Pfizer trial, and there was only like one, one person uh, who they claimed was saved uh, from a COVID death uh, in that trial. Um, and I know I'm kind of switching here between deaths and in, in infections, but it's uh, it, this story starts to get into opinion. I haven't researched this extensively, but, but I would say that it probably was never the case uh, that these things worked, because if they did work, we'd be seeing it now too, you know, because these new vaccines are specifically designed for the Omicron variant, these booster shots, and we're not seeing the reduction, right? We're not, we're seeing that the more shots you get, the worse it is. So I'd say that there, if there is a protective effect, uh, that it is overwhelmed by the non-protective effect of more vaccines making you more vulnerable because they, they uh, depress your immune system. My other question has to do with uh the uh, COVID management in Sweden, we could probably agree that by and large what they've done seems to have worked much better than in many other Western countries. However, they were pretty, I would say, uh, proactive in vaccinating a large fragment of population. So I'm wondering whether you have any insight from talking to people that are more knowledgeable about the situation in, in Sweden what, what, what was the mindset or the culture in the health authority that would make them believe that vaccine would be the way out given all of the other measures that they had implemented so successfully? Yeah, well, you know, there, it's like most health authorities throughout the world that they take their direction uh, from the WHO, from the CDC, from the FDA, uh, from the uh, EMA. And so uh, the authorities are looking to other authorities to figure out where they should stand and so that they all look unified because it would be really embarrassing if the WHO said, hey, these vaccines are dangerous and the CDC is saying hey, everybody should get vaccinated. So all of these health authorities tend to be aligned with each other. And, uh, and so I think that the uh, uh, in uh, in in Sweden, uh, that they they were basically looking at that and saying, "Well, these guys must know what they're doing, so let's let's go vaccinate uh, uh, everybody." And uh, Sweden has had better uh, outcomes 
And I think uh, it's probably more from the natural immunity that people were exposed uh, that they didn't lock down and people had natural immunity. And so it wasn't the vaccine that actually caused the lower uh, death rate in Sweden. I think it was more that they kept it open. Uh, people got naturally exposed to uh, the virus early on. And that was the, the cause of their success uh, rather than uh, anything else. Okay, maybe I'll get one last question, a very general question. You, from your personal journey, only realized there was something fishy with the vaccine because you experienced it yourself. And I, I see a lot of other people that been to a similar experience that initially trust the government and trust the institution and said, okay, if that's what it takes to get out of this uh, COVID crisis, I'll, I'll go and do it. And now you realize after digging in the data that there's been a lot of, uh, say, uh, uh, misinformation. I don't want to qualify who's doing it. Uh, when you look back at how we came to this sort of rollout very quickly across the world with the lockdown and vaccine and so on, it, it cannot really happen unless the culture is already ready, is already there to accept it. So my question is, now that we can gather data on the COVID crisis on many fronts, lockdowns, vaccine, and all of the other early treatment, you name it, that is showing more and more with hard evidence that the government has been somewhat misleading the population. The, the greater question is on how many other very important issue is the government misleading the, the population? Isn't that going to open that kind of investigation from critical thinker? Yes, it should. It absolutely should, right? Because once the public has realized that they've been totally misled on these COVID vaccines and it's done the opposite in all the directions in infections, hospitalizations, and death, and that it is, instead of saving hundreds of thousands of people, it's actually been killing hundreds of thousands of people. Once that trust has been broken, then we start to ask the questions, well, what else have they been misleading me on? And then it opens up, well, how safe are these other vaccines? And have we been, you know, for example, um, Andrew Wakefield has said that there's a connection between vaccines and autism. And I'll tell you, I've talked to a lot of parents of autistic kids, and it only happened after, right after, in some cases, in the parking lot, after they got their shot. And... So this stuff is being ignored. It's being swept under. These people who are bringing these accusations are being discredited, which then, of course, dissuades other scientists from bringing the same accusations because they look at what happened to Andrew Wakefield. And, they, and so that's why it was so important for them to make him the scapegoat and to show people, hey, if you go against the authorities, here's what we're going to, uh, to do to you. And... Yet there was this uh, Simpsonwood meeting, uh, which I've written about in my Substack, where they tried to cover up uh, the safety signals or the, uh, the signals of harm. 
And they, they kept saying, oh, you know, we can't make the signal go away. We can't make the signal go away. And, uh, you know, it's just stunning uh, the amount of corruption uh, that is at the CDC, uh, for example, uh, to this day. And these, this corruption exists not only on the association between vaccines and autism, it also extends to fluoridation of drinking water. The CDC has hailed that as a fantastic accomplishment. But the fluoridation of drinking water in America has been a disaster. It lowers IQ points, and it really doesn't do anything uh, for cavities. And in fact, um, I was at this uh, 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 event for uh, Bobby Kennedy. I ran into uh, someone who said, hey, you know, we got rid of fluoridation of drinking water in, in our community. And the cavities went down and the IQ went up and it did, you know, it did exactly what the science says uh, it would. So I think this is going to open minds um, and uh, people are going to now be able to question uh, and be willing to question uh, other things where we've been uh, very seriously uh, misled, you know, things that we were all told to believe in uh, uh, we're going to find that we were misled. Thank you very much. And there are more questions. Good afternoon. Thank you for your testimony. I, I just want to get a few points right in my own head about what you were talking about. Um, you said that in the United States, the public health, I believe you said, sorry, the public health officials in the United States did not want to disclose the vaccine status of deceased people because it violated their uh, privacy. I'm, I'm, I want to ask you to comment on the fact that when I would go to a restaurant or a tire changing place, they would ask me my vaccine status and I would have to report that. Uh, was that the same experience in the United States? Uh, yes, so it, it was the same experience in in other countries. That, well, uh, as well, where you were you asked to in order to enter an establishment, you were asked to essentially disclose your vaccination status by showing us your vaccination card in order to because you wanted the services. Now you were not required to do so, so it's voluntary. It's it's voluntary, right? If you want to eat at our establishment, you have to show the vaccine card to get in. Uh, and there were certain states uh, that required it. I remember when I was, uh, I went to Hawaii, they required me to show my vaccine card in order to enter Hawaii. And they also showed, uh, they also required it to enter into a restaurant. Um, now, the, uh, the email that I showed you, that was actually with the UK health authority uh, who said basically, hey, this would be a privacy violation and because it would be disclosing um, public or, or private private uh, health information, and we're not allowed to do that. And I said, no, no, you know, sick. Well, uh, on the death record, the 60 year old uh, died. You know, if they, the, the laws are going to be different in different places. But basically, in the UK, they could have anonymized these records to say, well, somebody between the ages of 60 and 65 uh, who was vaccinated on on uh, these dates, and they could go and they can anonymize the dates, right? They could go and do a plus plus one, minus one on the dates, 
so that nobody's record would actually match up and there would be no, uh, nobody could say, oh, you're making my data uh, public, right? Because the data wouldn't match up. And, uh, but they, they were uninterested in doing that. And I uh, also talked to Norman Fenton in the UK, who has talked to the regulator, and he got a similar response. They basically don't want to make these, the data public. They want to take the data and they want to massage it and present it in a way that's favorable to their narrative and so that they control the presentation. So it's like, it's like you have this massive database of information and they don't want to show it to you. What they want to do is they want to have this little telescope where you can look at like one little piece and that they carefully control what you look at rather than showing you uh, the whole database. Like, and there was no interest in saying, yes, hey, let's, we can't do it right now because of this particular rule, but we want to go to bat for this because we think public health data should be made public. There was no uh, interest at all in, uh, in, 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 you know, if you're truly interested in public health, you want to make the public health data pu as publicly accessible as you possibly can so that everybody can look at it and make their own conclusions and you know with from the objective data that's that's how it should work and instead they're saying yeah hey, we're going to interpret it and we're going to let you look at it through the lens that we control and even if we make a mistake on it you just have to trust us and that's exactly what happened with this the in the UK with this data where they messed up and they undercounted the unvaccinated and they misled people into thinking the vaccines are effective. So that should just not be done. Um, so that's the, uh, uh, to answer your question about the privacy concerns, that was, it, that was a, a UK uh, statement saying, oh, we can't do it because of, of privacy uh, issues. But, but again, I think if you asked people uh, after you die, uh, do you mind if we publish the vaccine uh, data? I mean, wh why not just have people in the UK just sign a, a, a statement that if they want to keep their vaccine information private after they die, then all they have to do is register with the UK government saying that, hey, I don't want my vaccination records released after I die. It'd be very simple to do. And nobody would be able to have their privacy violated after they die till to know when uh, they were vaccinated. There's no interest in doing that. Yeah, I, I wonder how voluntary it was. We had, maybe want to comment on this, we've had numerous witnesses come forward to us who were fired from their jobs if they didn't uh, uh, disclose, uh, who were uh, kicked out of school, who uh, couldn't go to church, and I, I question how voluntary their um, surrendering of that private medical information was in Canada in any case. Um, yeah, exactly. We have heard testimony through the last number of days concerning the financing of uh, various public health agencies, the Canadian one, the Americans one, and we've also heard testimony of how senior officials from all of those health agencies um, shortly thereafter became employees of the drug companies that they were regulating. Can you make comment as to uh, what effect you believe that may have had on the uh, those agencies being able to carry out their um, their job in protecting the public? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's clearly a, a conflict of, of interest um, that is only disclosed, of course, after they, they join the, the drug companies and, and who knows what, what happened before that. Um, Scott Gottlieb uh, is a pretty good example here. He's at, at appointed the head of the FDA and then he goes on, on uh, leaves there and goes to Pfizer. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit hard to, to, to say, oh, you know, what are you gonna do in the future? And to say, well, that, that's a conflict, you know, maybe it should be that you're, uh, if you serve the public, that you can't go and, and work for a drug company for some period of time or be paid or be compensated by drug. But, you know, the, any kind of thing that you do to get around that, uh, they'll, they'll figure out a way around it, right? If you know, five years or 10 years, you can't work for a drug company, then they'll say, the drug company will say, hey, 10 years, uh, you know, we're going to guarantee you a payment and they sign the secret agreement. So I think it's it's difficult to control. I think you need to just be really careful about hiring people and uh, really understanding where their hearts are. And one way to find out, of course, is to look at their behavior prior to when you hire them. Have they been you know, what did they do during this pandemic? Were they people who were speaking out and saying, hey, this is wrong? Were they saying, hey, we need to make these this public health data public? Were they uh, champions for the public? Or were they just going along with the narrative? And so I think it's uh, the most important thing is when you're appointing these people to, to look for these uh, conflicts, potential conflicts, but also really to look at their their past behavior and what side of the narrative that they, that they were on. Are they looking for truth? Are they proponents of truth? Are they proponents of transparency? And before they get the job, what are they gonna promise to do in that job? Are they gonna promise to make the health data more transparent or less transparent? Are they gonna make the processes more transparent or less transparent? It's like a Medical uh, medical journals, right? When they retract a paper, they say, and I ask them, hey, you know, can we see the correspondence for how you retracted this paper? They say, well, we don't, we're not obligated to give that to you and it's a secret, right? So people who, who are put into a job should say, hey, look, when I go into this job, I'm gonna create more transparency here and more accountability and we're going to, right? It's all about, what your promise is going into. It's, it's like being elected to a, uh, to a public, uh, public office. Like, what am I going to do? What am I promised to do? Right? And accepting a job in a public health agency should be the same way. I promise to clean up this agency. I promise to make it more transparent and so forth. Thank you. There's another question. Uh, we've all heard the analogy of uh, they first came for us and then they came for them and then there was no one left but, left but me. I'd like to turn that around on the question of silence. First in Canada, we saw the citizens silenced and now the regulatory bodies are being silent or silenced and I'm not gonna suggest that the Ontario College of surgeons and physicians is being silenced either by dictate or voluntarily. But I'm just wondering, 
If we wait long enough, will we eventually understand who is pulling the strings because of who is no longer left to be silenced? <laughs> uh, if we wait long enough. Um, well, nobody, nobody knows the answer to that. You know, there, there are speculations that there are people pulling the strings and manipulating uh, this. <coughs> I haven't seen any evidence, any hard evidence of that. I haven't seen any memos. I haven't seen any smoking guns. Um, that indicate this. I think uh, what we have is kind of a perfect storm of we have some, uh, we had some research that was done and that research then kind of went awry and kind of escaped or was let out of a lab. Uh, whether it was deliberately or not, there are different points of view on that. Uh, so we'll and then, of course, I think that most people involved in this who are just believers of the narrative, believers in vaccines, believers that they believed in Tony Fauci when he said vaccines are the way out, even though they weren't. And we have a lot of people who basically were trying to do the right thing and are believing that they are doing the right thing and they believe that people like me are evil and destructive and are causing people to die. And so these are not evil people, they just have different points of view. And is there a guy at the top who's pulling the strings and uh, making things worse? Well, certainly uh, Bill Gates uh, has been funding uh, lots of activities uh, that have made things worse for people like me. And, uh, but is he doing that because he's an evil person and he wants to see people die? Or is he doing it because he believes that vaccines are safe and effective and that people like me are bad? Well, um, I, I, I actually, um, I, I may be an exception here, but I believe that, that Bill Gates uh, honestly believes that these vaccines are safe and effective and that he is completely fooled and he's not looking at the data like he should be. And so therefore, I, I don't think that, that the people at the top are these evil people that want to kill people because if they were, then this is not the way to do it. This COVID vaccine is not the way to kill people in large numbers. It's a way to kill one out of a thousand people uh, who take the vaccine, but it's not a way to kill people in large numbers. Uh, it's a way to create a lot of chronic disease and so forth, but it's not the best way. And if you are really a evil person pulling the strings on all of this, this is probably not your, your, uh, your main plan of attack here uh, was to, to construct this. It'd be pretty diabolical uh, <clears throat> if you did it and be pretty clever uh, if you did, but I don't think people are that smart that they could figure all this stuff out. Um, I think this was uh, kind of an accident, and it, and one thing led to another. I haven't seen any uh, evidence yet that this thing is, uh, you know, there, there there's some pretty suspicious stuff here, but uh, uh, it it it's more people wanting to make a buck. Uh, than people wanting to uh, actually uh, have evil intentions and wanting to kill massive numbers of people. 
And my second question is, we heard testimony from an embalmer that middle-aged women are dying in an increased level, which, is apparently cons which appears to be consistent with the retracted findings from Skidmore, who says 51% of the participants are women with a mean age of 47. This is a demographic that has not been identified at any point that I can remember throughout COVID, throughout the last three years. I'm just wondering if you have any insights into why we haven't heard about this in the public's mainstream, mainstream media or from the, or from the health authorities. Oh. Yeah, I mean, specifically the, um, uh, the women, I, I don't know, but you know, it's all lumped into, they don't want to hear about any deaths at all, right? They're, the COVID vaccine has to be safe and effective because they promote, the press has promoted it to the public as being safe and effective. And it would be a huge embarrassment to the press to have to admit they were wrong. I think that that has everything to do with it. <clears throat> the other part, part, of course, is that they're funded, that a lot of these media organizations are funded by drug companies and they would, they would lose or they're worried about losing ad revenue. And so the management is saying, hey, let's not run that story. And I know a number of uh, people in media who have left uh, because of that. But basically, I think it's, you know, this is not about going uh, uh, specifically covering up any particular age group or uh, male or female. I think it's just all about making sure that nobody uh, figures out that these vaccines were not as, as safe and effective as we said. And in fact, they were down, downright dangerous. The press will do anything it can to make sure that they don't erode the public's trust in the media by telling the truth. Thank you. And there is one more question. First of all, I'd like to thank you again for appearing and giving us your testimony today. Uh, you've spoken quite extensively today about data transparency issues, and it's clear based on your presentation that you have spent a considerable amount of time gathering data uh, from all over the world. And I'm just wondering if you can comment a little bit about um, the access to Canadian health and vaccination data and uh, perhaps how, how easy it is and how it may compare to other jurisdictions and whether there are others who are doing it better. Yeah, so the access to health information uh, varies um, in different places all over the world. Uh, I think the UK has one of the best systems and then it was um, because of that, people have focused on that and then they did the analysis showing that the health data from the UK was unreliable. And if the health, care, health data from the UK is unreliable, that's basically, you know, the, health, the, the UK health data is sort of the, like the gold standard because they're actually giving us vaccination status information, unlike in the United States of America, where we don't have anywhere close to the... Uh, the level of data that we have in the UK, because I've talked to the CDC. The CDC says, well, we don't get the vaccination records from states. And I said, really, why not? They said, well, there's no law that compels them to give us the vaccination records. And so I asked the, the people at the CDC, I said, How, why haven't you asked them? 
You could ask them nicely. You could ask Governor Newsom in California to pass a law or to just hand over the records um, so that you can do your analysis. And they basically have never asked. They don't want to know. Now, in, uh, in Canada, uh, you can go to the Ontario, um, and I've spent the most time looking at the Ontario data, uh, and they've done a really, really good job of tracking all these statistics. But as to whether or not you believe them or not is another story. Uh, they certainly don't publish the death vax records, which is the, the most important thing, are those records. And they don't publish them. And um, so the health authorities should be asked that question to why they, they don't. But when I ask, I, <laughs> I've never gotten any response from any of these people uh, challenging their uh, their narrative that's, uh, that's ended up uh, working out, right? So the, the health authorities in the UK or uh, in uh, New Zealand uh, will actually respond to emails, which is good. It's a first step. And in, in certain states, they'll, they'll respond to emails. But then when you press them for the details, they stop talking to you. Uh, I, I haven't done the pursue this in, to any great extent in Canada, uh, but I'd be surprised if I found an advocate in Canada. In the U.S., I, there's only one guy, um, one health official in the United States of America that uh, is willing to sort of bend over backwards and try to get the data. And so he's working on that. He hasn't produced it yet. But it's very, very rare. You know, there are, I think there are uh, somewhere around 3,000 health authorities, uh, county health authorities in, in the U.S., and only one guy, right? So in Canada... It would be probably by province. And so your chance of uh, finding someone who, who actually wants to help you and wants to make this data transparent uh, is pretty minimal. Um, so, look, I do appreciate all the work, especially in Ontario. Uh, you know, they've got a great uh, dashboard. They have great visualizations. Uh, they're showing you uh, the data. It's just that it's a little bit hard to believe uh, that data uh, is is accurate in terms of the, the their counts. I think they're just like the UK; they're undercounting the unvaccinated, which then makes their data suspect. Because how could it be? Because I looked at their infection data, right, and it shows that the unvaccinated are being infected at a higher rate. Well, that differs from the Cleveland Clinic study, and so. Uh, when they're not counting the infections correctly, it's probably the case that they're not counting the hospitalizations and death correctly and attributing them uh, to the vaxxed versus the unvaxxed. And so the poll, that's why polls, uh, the national polls that people do are, are extremely interesting because if what they're saying is true, it should show up in the polls as well. And the fact that the polls don't validate what's been going on is troubling. But the, the other thing that I love about Ontario, for example, is they were honest. They did say that, um, hey, these deaths in 2022, the all-cause deaths, which is the most important thing, right? Because you can miscategorize people as vaccinated or unvaccinated, but you shouldn't be able to monkey with the all-cause deaths. And so I was actually pleasantly surprised when I saw 
what appears to be a very honest number from Ontario Public Health showing the 39% increase in COVID deaths. Now, that was stunning because usually they, they try to figure out a way to hide it, uh, uh, to depress the deaths. And in this case, uh, you have some honest data uh, that, that looks very honest that is at odds with the other data, right? So the, what you look for is you look for disparities in the data set that, that you're created. So gosh, guys, if you're right about the death um, the, the total number of deaths in 2022 versus 2021, then how can you explain all this other data that you show us that claim, hey, that the elderly in Ontario are almost 100% vaccinated, right? All the elderly groups, 60 and up, uh, almost 100% have at least one shot or two shots. And a lot of them are also triple, triple vaxxed. And so... It, it well, and those are the people who are dying. And so when you have a 39% increase in 2022, those numbers just don't, you know, they don't add up. And so that would, that makes it really, uh, uh, it, you know, that shows that there's this, this discrepancy. This doesn't make sense. And the fact that they're not willing to talk about it, then none of the public health officials are willing to talk about it. That's what really makes it, it interesting. So I absolutely commend Ontario Public Health for pointing out those numbers because usually they, if, when something is bad, they'll cover it up. But um, they actually put it in their report in very clear that 39% uh, increase in COVID deaths. So those are the things that you can look at it and say, okay, now that's inconsistent and, and let's go from there. Let's have an open discussion. But the fact that they won't have an open discussion is very troubling. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's it for questions. Uh, Mr. Kirsch, on behalf of the National Citizens Inquiry, we sincerely thank you for testifying today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity uh, to uh, let people know about uh, this information. And, you know, I, I always encourage people to don't, please don't trust me. Go get the evidence yourself. All I'm trying to do here is just highlight uh, the data that's out there and how that data is inconsistent with what you're being told. And I'm encouraging people to suspend your beliefs and what you believed in before and just match up the data and see which hypothesis it matches better. Does the data match the safe and effective hypothesis or do the, do the data and arguments match the hypothesis that this is not, not as safe and effective as they said? Thank you again.